When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord. Just two chapters previous to where we are reading today, Jesus said people are like sheep without a shepherd, that they are harassed and helpless. Now, most of us don't feel like that all of the time, but also most of us have felt like that at some times in our lives. I was in my last year of seminary. Just three months from graduation, I was serving three little churches, a little more than an hour drive away. Every Sunday morning, I drove up to the first church and preached, and we had services. Drove about 15 minutes to the next one, same thing. Drove about 20 to 30 minutes back into town for the last service. It begins to wear on you after a while, but I was called to be a local church pastor, so I was doing my best while going to school Sometimes on Sunday afternoon then I would go and visit. We would have a Bible study in the evening or a board meeting. On this particular Sunday, it was administrative board time. And we went through the regular business. And then before we finished, the small group of people there got into a huge fight over a little tiny matter. At least little tiny in my mind, obviously not to them. They made a huge deal of it. The vehemence that went back and forth was baffling to me. I could not believe what was going on in the basement of that church. By the time we were done, I was so frustrated with these folks and with the church, I could hardly stand it. I had a little more than an hour to drive back to our apartment where Mary was. We had been married about six months. I got there, and after contemplating it, said to her, I think I've made a mistake. I am not going to spend my life in little tiny churches arguing over little tiny issues. I'm going to drop out of seminary. As you might imagine, she was none too pleased with my revelation. <laughs> she listened. She talked a little. She counseled a little. Over the next days and weeks, she kind of got me back on course. And I went ahead and finished seminary. But most of us have had those times where we got ourselves in a situation where we could not see the way out. 
what seemed like there was no hope. It seemed like all was lost. It seemed like a time of despair. That's where I was on that Sunday night. Most of us have seen those times where we were angry or depressed or confused to the extent that we were despairing. We were trying to figure out what to do next, which way to go. Should I go forward or should I retreat? Should I continue or should I find another direction? We find ourselves at times because of circumstances often where we feel that sense of despair. I think where we find John the Baptist in our reading today is in that kind of place. He sends word to Jesus and asks this question in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Should we go or should we wait? Shall we follow you or is it someone else? Is this it? Is this what we've been waiting and praying for? Or is there something else? Now remember, last week if you were here, we were reading in chapter 3 out of this gospel, and John is a rock star. I mean, Matthew tells us he's out at the river and people are coming from all over the country. He's telling them the way it is, and Jesus is the one. He says, here's the one that's coming. He's more powerful than all the rest. I baptize you with water. He's baptizing with the Holy Spirit and fire. I mean, John is fired up. And here we are just a few chapters later. And John is despairing. He's confused. Are you the one? Or is there another? Shall we follow? Or shall we wait? I'm not sure all that happened to John, but one thing that happened is he was put in prison. He was arrested and put in prison and his circumstances changed his mind in terms of how ready he was to proclaim the kingdom and proclaim that Jesus is the one. He was in a place of despair. When we find ourselves in that place, what is the answer? This is the answer Jesus gives John, I think, in this passage today. He says, notice what good things are happening around you. Notice what good things are happening around you. If you still have your Bible open in verse 4, Matthew records, Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Notice the good things that are happening all around you. Anne Lamott is a Christian author. She writes very poignantly about her life and her faith. She shares very openly in her writing her own ambiguity, her own vulnerability, and yet she is full of faith. She's written a new book that I picked up recently. I put the title in your outline, Help, Thanks, Wow, The Three Essential Prayers. In that book, she talks about a time where one of her friends, who was a staunch agnostic, came to her because the woman's daughter, Angie, had three young children and had just been diagnosed with lung cancer. Anne says it's the kind of cancer that even though she was going through chemotherapy, the tumors just kept growing. It was devastating her. She asked Anne to pray. Anne writes this. 
She said she went to God in a time of prayer and said, I hold this family in your light. I pray for them to get their miracle and to have stamina, for them to be okay today for their love and amazing senses of humor to help them come through. Although, if you have a minute, I'd like to know, what on earth could you be thinking? She goes on to say, I wish I had a magic wand and could tap Angie on the head with it and the cancer would be gone and her kids would get to grow up with a mother. Even better, I wish God had a magic wand. I've never seen evidence of it, but I have seen miracles. Although they always take too long to make themselves known, if you ask me, Yet I've seen many people survive unsurvivable losses and seen them experience happiness again. How is this possible? She answers her own question like this. Love flowed to them from their closest people and from their community, surrounded them, sat with them, held them, fed them, swept their floors. Time passed. In most cases, their pain evolved slowly into help for others. Then she quotes a poet, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. Jesus says, notice the good all around you and act accordingly. Kitsy Jones lives in Arlington, Texas. She says it was the Sunday before Christmas. She and her husband were getting their two small children ready for church when the phone rang. She thought, oh no, not again. She said, my husband's a police officer and all during this month he keeps getting calls to come in and to work extra hours. So I announced out loud before he could get to the phone, we are going to church today. He went ahead and answered the phone, talked for a moment. And then she said, I couldn't believe it when I heard him say, I'll be right there. It'll only take me 20 minutes to get there. When he hung up the phone and turned around, he could see in my face I was not happy with what had just happened. He said, it's not what you think. It's a wish with wings, which was an organization on which he served on the board. They're an organization that work with seriously ill children, children with life-threatening illnesses. They were preparing for a Christmas party that very night, they had purchased and wrapped 170 gifts, and he said, a wish with wings has been broken into, and all the gifts are gone. I've got to go. He jumped in his car and took off. She said, I got my two small children. We climbed into our car and went on to church. I shared with my Sunday school class what had happened. We went on through the hour. But as I was leaving the class, people began to hand me money. People began to say, I want to help. I know they're going to have to get more gifts. Take this. A person from another Sunday school class heard about it and said, we've been gathering gifts for a different organization, but we'll give you those today so you can have a party for those children tonight. 
She said she just couldn't believe it, but she loaded them up and she headed over after church to a wish with wings. She said she just wasn't prepared for when she drove up and the beautiful plate glass window that used to be there was shattered. There was glass everywhere. She said the mood was very quiet. Everyone still looked a little dazed. Some volunteers here and there. She spotted her husband Lee over on the phone. She went over. He was calling radio and TV stations, asking them if they would put the word out that they needed help and they needed it now. One of the other board members was a radio DJ. He had gotten a hold of her. She had already gone to her station and arranged with them to be a drop-off point and been on the radio. Gifts began to come in. Her husband was a police officer. He put on his uniform. He was out front in the station organizing things. He called and said, we need some help. Kitsy said she had a van, so she drove over there and loaded up the gifts that had come. And on her way back to the office, she began to think, how are we ever going to replace that many gifts? Even though these people are being generous, it's, it's not going to be enough. She said, I was, I was just going lower and lower until I came around the corner where I could see the office and I couldn't believe the scene. She said, people were standing in line to bring gifts into the office. She said it was like a scene from It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, people coming from all different directions. The word was out. We needed help, and people were responding. She said it was just wonderful. Her spirits were lifted. She went inside. You could tell everybody was feeling better. A local pizza parlor sent over some pizza to help them out. She said, we worked feverishly all afternoon, and finally 10 minutes until the party was to start, and all the presents had been transported six miles down the road to where the party was to happen. And she said, it had been a frantic day. But oh, when the children opened their gift and you could see the joy shining in their eyes and their smiles brightening, she said it was all worth it. It was wonderful. She said, but it didn't really end there. One of the national news organizations had picked up the feed and announced that this group needed some help. And she said the next morning the phone began to ring and the delivery men began to come and presents were coming from all over the country. People were wiring money. I mean, she said, we lost 170 presents. By the end of the day, we had received 1,500 gifts. She said, oh, the true spirit of Christmas was back. The devastation from the day before turned into great elation. She said it was all joy for those of us helping. You could see the joy when the kids opened their presents, and then we began to distribute these presents to other organizations, and we brought joy there. She, she said you could see the joy rising up in all the volunteers who had come to help. Joy broke out in the midst of despair. I tell you, it can happen. Joy can break out in the midst of despair. Are you looking for it? Do you believe that God is at work around us, that God is coming to us? Jesus says, look, listen, and see what good things are happening all around you. Notice the good and act accordingly. The good news, friends, is that God is coming to us. 
In this season of Advent, it's prepare ye the way of the Lord because God is coming to us. Advent is a time for us to sharpen our ability to notice what God is doing and where God is arriving in our very midst. Earlier this week, I was having lunch with a couple of my friends, a couple of members here. One had just received a cancer diagnosis. Another is dealing with a person who needed some lodging, and he took them into his home for a few weeks that have now turned into months. One of us had dealt with some fairly harsh criticism at work. It could have been a time of despair. I mean, it was depressing news. But the amazing thing that happened is that we had gathered as Christian friends, caring deeply about one another, sharing our hearts together, and the despair turned to joy. As we grasped hands at the end of lunch after sharing and had a prayer together, we were all lifted up. There was joy in the midst of what could have been despair. God is coming to us. Are you watching? Are you looking? Are you listening? Whenever we're facing despair, there's just a couple of things we need to remember. One is that the power of God will come to us. The gospel say as comforter, advocate, as God's very own Holy Spirit, especially when two or three of us are gathered together, Jesus promises, I will be there. God will come to you. The second thing is that Christ established the church to carry on his work of healing and helping and teaching and serving. We live in God's world. We are not alone. We live in 